So this is the last uh, lesson on work. Um, over, just kind of do a quick review of what we've covered the last few weeks. Um, we've talked about um, our vocation and God's purpose and design for work, that he made work to be good, that work has dignity, that we um, cultivate God's creation through our work, and we serve others through our work. Then we talked about the effects of sin on us, uh, or on work and on us, um, the frustration and brokenness of the world, uh, and the effect of sin on our hearts that makes you know, us, our work often feel fruitless, meaningless, and selfish. Uh, and it exposes the idols in our hearts. And then last week, um, we started talking about how Jesus' work changes our work. And as believers, we now have a new master, we have a new assignment, we have new hearts, and new confidence, and last, new rewards in Christ, which gives us freedom in our work. So that's kind of where we left off last week. Uh, today we're going to talk about how we serve as Christ's representatives in our workplace, whatever that may be. <clears throat> And there's a few different aspects to that. And then we'll talk about kind of some of the practical ways that that can, can look. So, 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So I want us to think about what that looks like in the workplace. And I think that that means that um, we reveal who Christ is and what he's done for us, his reconciling work on the cross. And there's three ways uh, that we see that. We see the first uh, is probably the most obvious is through proclamation. That's the primary application that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. We reveal Christ by talking about him, uh, by sharing the gospel um, in word. Uh, the second is through confirmation. Our lives make the gospel more appealing as they confirm its power in our lives. When you refuse to lie on a sales call despite pressure from your boss or uh, something like that, you show the people around you that there's something different. You confirm the claim that the gospel changes lives. Because we do believe that the gospel changes us and that we are in the process of being changed and, and conformed to the image of Christ. And then the third is through demonstration. Our lives can actually live out pieces of the gospel, which furthers both proclamation and confirmation. For example, the idea that God's authority is good is a central message of the gospel. Um, it's at the core of repentance. As we turn from following our own authority to following God's instead, because we believe his authority to be good. Um, Authority is also at the core of rebellion. The approach of the serpent in Genesis 3 was to convince Eve that God's authority was not trustworthy. So the non-Christian world around us believes that authority is suspect, and God's being no different. But when you, know, you as a Christian use authority well, uh, maybe as a boss or a government official or teacher, for example, you introduce counter evidence to that worldview um, that can demonstrate uh, the, the goodness of, of God's authority. So in the workplace, uh, we are Christ's representatives as we reveal uh, who he is, 
uh, through gospel proclamation, confirmation, and demonstration. And the, in practice, kind of a phrase to sum up our approach as Christians um, to our work ought to be, in this context of Christ's representatives, is bound up in the idea we'll use faith-fueled service. So that's the idea that we want to look at, is as Christ's representatives, we should be have faith-fueled service to those around us. Uh, and so we'll look at first at faith. Uh, you know, Tim's been teaching a lot about this as we're working through uh, Hebrews. Um, you know, in Hebrews 11, uh, faith is defined as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, so we know that what we talked about last week, that we have in Christ, we have a new master, new assignments, new hearts, new confidence, new rewards. Um, and we have, uh, though we may have other people that we answer to, and kind of proximate bosses, our ultimate boss is, is Jesus. We're ultimately serving him. And who we're called to work for is, is more important than you know, what we're called to do uh, in terms of our, our specific work. And uh, that means that sometimes out of obedience, out of faith, uh, we will do things that are, may seem strange to our coworkers, those around us, uh, because we are obeying a call that is unseen, and we're obeying a master that is unseen. Uh, so when you don't fudge your time card uh, because you're working for the Lord who sees all, if you're doing this for God, if you're exercising, you are exercising faith. So if you don't complain because you trust God's good purpose for a trying situation, uh, you're exercising faith. Um, And that faith is pleasing to God, and it marks you out as different from the world. Ultimately, what matters in our workplace is the things that we are doing by faith. Um, And I I think that's a... We'll get into this later. There is, I think, a key distinction. We don't want to look at you know, a set of behaviors and say, this is, you know, Christian behaviorism in the workplace. We need to remember that what's important is what is the orientation of our heart. So that's just kind of, we'll get into that a little later. I just want to put that out there. Um, Jumping ahead to verse 6 in Hebrews 11, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So our, we can have confidence that our real boss will reward us even if our you know, proximate boss does not. And that is an exercise of faith. Faith that who is more important than what. Faith that our ultimate reward is far greater than any reward in this life and the fact that it's already secured for us um, in eternity. So that's looking at the idea of faith. And then we shift to the idea of service. Um, did someone raise their hand? No? Okay. Um, again, the who here is more important than the what. But God has given us a what. He's given us an assignment. Uh, we can look to uh, Mark 10, 42 through 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So just as Jesus came to serve, the call on us is to serve those. So whatever job, whatever title, uh, whatever particular role we play in our work, and like we've talked before, that, you know, that goes all the way from being a student to being retired. We all have work that we're doing. Um, that ultimately, uh, just as Jesus came to serve, we've been called to serve. So think about whether you've thought of your normal posture in the workplace as one of service. So maybe service to your boss, to your customers, service to your coworkers, to investors, service to your teacher or your business partner. Um, we have to remind ourselves regularly that as Christ's servants, we're to serve those around us, and that's how we ought to be looking. Uh, that's the gospel paradigm that we ought to be looking at for our work is service uh, based on faith, so faith-fueled service. If we grow in faith, that it's Christ that we're serving, then we will grow in our ability to represent Christ in the workplace through the, th the three things that we talked about, gospel, proclamation, confirmation, and demonstration. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want to look at um, kind of some practical things that we can, what does this look like? Uh, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Uh, and that, but I want to look at integrity, contentedness, authority, creativity, and humility. So those are just a few different areas in which we can see this faith-fueled service kind of play itself out. So the first is, is probably one of the most obvious, and that is integrity or, or ethics. Uh, you've probably heard the statement that honesty is good business. There's you know, nothing new about that, but nothing particularly Christian about that either. Uh, there are lots of honest people out there who are not Christians. But for a, as a Christian, we should be motivated to be honest for different reasons. Uh, we talked last week about how the gospel gives us new motivations to please God because of what he has already done for us through Jesus Christ, that we now belong to him. And uh, scripture speaks frequently of the importance of honesty in the workplace. Proverbs 20, 23, for example, the Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. Or James 5.12, let your yes be yes and your no be no or you will be condemned. So, you know, there, in life there's lots of real ethical conundrums that are not um, always super obvious, yes or no. Uh, but we ought to be orienting ourselves towards Christ in a way that we are um, striving to have integrity in our interactions. Um, you know, I, I think that you know, I've mentioned before I, I work in a law firm, and you, I have to ask myself sometimes, you know, when does hyperbole become deceit? Where's that kind of line when you're in a negotiation or, um, or something like that? Same with like a business deal. Um, another honesty challenge for me is, in my line of work is, you know, reporting our time. 
I have to record my time in tenths of an hour. So you can see the, uh, the, the temptation there for a lot of people um, that are, you know, when you're filling out your bill or whatever, to exaggerate um, and to not be honest with that. So those are, those are very real things that we encounter. Mark? You know, one of the things that I've thought of over the years is you don't take your timesheet, wave it around, and say, hey, look, you know, ultimately the consumer of this is God. And right. I, know, I know the purpose of this is that we're Christ's ambassadors in this world, but, you know, it becomes a way of life when you understand that God is the consumer and that, you know, we don't have to make sure everybody sees our integrity here. Right. Yeah, it's all about our orientation. It's, we're not being honest. I mean, hopefully our, you know, if we're being honest and people do see that, it's going to reflect um, the work of God in our lives. But we're not, you know, standing on the corner saying, you know, look how honest I am and how I, you know, didn't cheat on my time card. I, I have co-workers who expect that from Christians because they think we're chumps. They go, oh, he's a Christian. I mean, it's just like, never mind them. But Yeah. So I, I think one way to think about this is that because of the gospel, we have a different ethical compass. You know, where our allegiance is and obedience to God um, in order to bring him glory. So... I'm just going to give three very practical pieces of advice in the area of, in, of integrity. Um, and these are you know, not novel. But the first is do not lie. You know, that seems to be something that you know, we all know that we're supposed to not lie. <clears throat> you know, we're supposed to tell the truth. But um, it is so easy for people to lie. And, and, the, and the more you start to lie, the more you're going to lie. So um, just think about that. Um, if you have a, um, if you have lied, then confess um, your sin. Um, you know, if you have a particularly sensitive conscience, or uh, you might want to check with other believers as to, um, you know, make sure that you're not wrongly condemning yourself um, for something that was fine. But um, you, but I think just a very simple thing to remind yourself is is of our. Uh, you know, we are committed to the truth because our God um, is committed to truth. And so just one of the most simple ways we can do that is by being different, um, by telling the truth. Second um, thing to think about is if your line of work is making you exercise your conscience too much, um, you might want to think about pursuing a different area of work. Um, there are, um, you know, there, there are things that kind of push the envelope. Um, and we have to remember that ultimately our allegiance is to Christ, and he's more important than a particular profession or a particular job. Um, and so that's, that's something that we need to do. And there's no, you know, there's no silver bullet for these things. There's no, like, um, uh, easy answer for a lot of these types of questions, but it's something that as Christians, we've got to wrestle with and think about. Um, And third, uh, just to, in terms of 
seeking out jobs, uh, it's helpful, I think, to seek out jobs where integrity drives profit, not where it is tolerated. Um, no one is going to advertise a job by saying that you're going to get promoted for lying, but there's plenty of places where that is the normal uh, way that the world works. So, um, see, so I would encourage you, if you're in, the, the, in a situation in which you're looking for work, that you can find a place, try to find a place where your conscience is valued, not treated as an obstacle to getting things done. Um, so moving on from integrity uh, in terms of what does this faith-fueled service look like, the second one I want to talk about is contentedness. So if you want to open your Bible to Philippians 2, um, there in verse 14, um, it starts with the exhortation, do everything without complaining or arguing. And that seems simple enough. Um, but then as you continue through the 15 and 16, uh, I'd like you to kind of see where this ends up, you know, the, 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 the tale of this um, exhortation. So do everything without complaining or arguing. And then in verse 15, it talks about shining like stars in the universe in a crooked and depraved generation. In verse 16, holding forth the word of life. So those are some pretty grand outcomes for a pretty simple exhortation in terms of do everything without complaining or arguing. And we talked about this a little bit last week. It is extremely uh, countercultural um, to not complain. I mean, I, I think about, you know, going to uh, work and you ask, you know, how are you doing? Most of the time people are going to, you know, and, and not just work. You know, this is, this is just kind of regular life. You, you ask someone how they're doing or, or um, ask about a particular challenge, and most of the time it's going to be complaining about uh, what is going on, how things are not lining up the way they want them to, or, uh, you know, work is beneath you, um, you don't have enough work, you have too much work, I hate this work, uh, people I work with are so incompetent, I hate my boss, you know, you can go on and on and on, and we're probably all guilty of saying these things ourselves, right? This is not something that is <clears throat> novel to the world. We're, we still struggle with this sin, too. But as people that have a, a compass that is oriented towards God and not towards um, serving ourselves, we ought to think about, you know, this admonition to, not, to do everything without complaining or arguing and also think about how different that is. You know, when you are someone that doesn't argue in a world, or doesn't complain in a world of grumblers, you stand out. Right? People want to know what, why you're not like that. Um, so that is one that I think is, is very helpful in this, in this kind of demonstration and confirmation of the gospel's uh, work in our lives. Josh, that's, that doesn't mean we don't, we're not honest about pain and issues. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, I, I think that we don't want to put ourselves out there as, um, you know, kind of everything's working for me, like I don't, I don't have any problems. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but there is a difference, I think, of, you know, being someone who grumbles about, you know, the work that they've been given. Ralph? Uh, depending upon how far you think God's sovereignty goes, 
if you complain, you're really telling God, I don't like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely right. Yeah, complaining is, it, when we're complaining about our circumstances, oftentimes if we think about uh, what we talked about last week, that we have a new master in Christ, we're really complaining about the master that we have. Uh, because, you know, what he's done. Go ahead and... Thank you. Yeah. <coughs> right. You know, I think that you know we we need to report things that need to be reported, and and um, you're right. I and you had a comment as well. Um, So as we think about contentedness, um, we're trusting in God's good purposes for us no matter our circumstances. And that's kind of the idea of faith-fueled service in this context. If we trust him, focused on not serving ourselves but Christ, we will have a joy um, in affliction that is opposite of grumbling um, in our world that our world is so used to, and that's very provocative, I think. I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week in terms of the context of joy, that the gospel gives us freedom to have joy in our work, um, which for a lot of people is going to seem very weird um, because, you know, people don't um, typically have joy in their work a lot of the times. Um, The third thing that we're going to talk about is authority. And... um, our attitude towards authority is significant, I think, in making us faithful representatives of Christ. And I think that there's kind of two aspects to that. There's um, the exercise of authority to those below us, um, maybe you know that are subordinates in some way, uh, and then our extra, how we view a, um, service to those in authority over us. So first, let's talk about Um, service to those below us. So if you're in a position of authority, it's authority that God has entrusted you with. Um, So whether you're a, you know, employer, um, you know, even as a parent, um, a government official, uh, you know, an elder, you name it, um, you have, you have someone who has authority uh, you have an opportunity to say something about who God is by how you wield the authority that he's given to you. Um, and I think one of the key ideas here is blessing, that you want to uh, bless, you want your authority to be a blessing to those who work for you. So pray that they would be thankful for how you use your authority, that you use it well. Uh, Genesis one twenty eight, we see God not only created man, but he assigned man the task of ruling over and subduing the earth. One implication of this is that we are to be God's image bearers and representatives in how we exercise authority. So God is the ultimate authority over everything, but he has decided to give us authority in in different vocations and situations underneath him. So when we use 
that authority well and for the benefit of those we serve, we are showing the world that, that authority is, at its essence, a good thing, that God's authority is a good thing. And one of the main ways that we're to use our authority to be a blessing to others is by serving them. So Ephesians 6, 9 tells masters to treat your slaves in the same way, by serving them with enthusiasm. The position of a boss is no less a servant than the position of a worker. So as someone who's exercising authority, you know, give, them, give yourself to the good of those that you have authority over. Uh, look to take responsibility for your employees, pray for them, encourage them, look out for them, coach them, help them be successful, uh, make it clear that you're interested in their lives outside of, of just the work that they do, model a culture of generosity with your time, and just generally pour yourself out for them by caring for their good. So the other aspect of this is how we as Christians relate to those who have authority over us. Um, all of us have people that are in authority over us. Uh, you know, it could be anything from uh, a customer to a boss to a board of directors to shareholders, you know, you name it. So what does this look like? It's going to involve all the things that we've been talking about this morning already. Uh, but it will also involve a posture of submission with our hearts. Uh, it's easy to serve people who are exercising authority well. Uh, the challenge comes when we are having to serve people who are not exercising it well. And we've all dealt with that too, I'm sure. And that's where I think the idea of submission to that authority is important. Uh, First Peter is you know, revolutionary in this regard. His goal in writing is to help Christians who are suffering come in the gospel, but one of the main focuses of his book is submission to authority. He talks about you know, submission to the government, to uh, church um, leaders, to employers, masters. Uh, again, just like with not complaining, something pretty prosaic is accomplishing something amazing. You can't simply decide that you're going to fail to provide an honest day's work to your employer simply because your, your boss is in the way. Uh, we are called to, you know, have su to submit to, that, to authority. And so I think, I mean, one of the practical things that we need to remind ourselves to do if we're in that situation where we're having a difficult time submitting to the authority of, of someone in the workplace is to pray regularly for him or her. Uh, pray for um, their family. Pray that God would change your heart and give you a desire to serve them and be a uh, point them to Christ in the way that we submit. Not because they are worthy of service, but because God has placed them in authority over us. So we have the opportunity to serve them as those serving Christ. Uh, the fourth item uh, in looking at this, this uh, faith-fueled service is creativity. And this is another example, I think, of how we can be Christ's representatives in the workplace. Uh, creativity is one of God's communicable attributes. Uh, we ought to use it. 
We ought to try to look for ways to do things better, to take risks, not just bring problems to you know our uh, boss, but bring solutions. Uh, and so, being creative in our work, I think, not only teaches us more about the wonder of God's own creativity, it serves others in the workplace and, um, and can demonstrate when you're trying to kind of go the extra mile, when you're trying to do the extra things, it, it, it can point to the power of the gospel um, in our lives. So the fifth item is humility. Um, many problems from work stem from feeling like something we've been asked to do is beneath us. Uh, but as we see in Philippians 2, our attitude should be that of Christ who made himself nothing. Because our identity and final reward is already secured in Christ, we are now free to be humble. The prestige of a task should not matter to us um, as much because we are Christians, because we are serving God. So, coming to a place where we find worth um, in Christ's work and identity uh, frees us to serve in whatever role or capacity that the Lord might have for us with full confidence that He knows exactly what He's doing uh, with our time and talents, um, and He's going to use them for His glory. I was kind of thinking, you know, it's kind of like uh, we are sometimes um, Daniel in Karate Kid. And you have him, you know, doing wax on, wax off. And the, the importance is not the task that he is doing. It's how it's changing him, how he's, he's learning something that he doesn't even realize that he's learning. And in much the same way, you know, oftentimes our kind of, very the the task that is right in front of our face, we may not see how God is using that to change us, to um, conform us to His image, to glorify Him. Um, but that is the we know that that is His purpose and the task that He has given us. And I think um, part of this, in terms of the idea of humility, here is uh, shifting how we think about ambition. Paul tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Selfish ambition is really a form of slavery. It is slavery to the tyranny of self-promotion. The gospel frees us from that so that we can give ourselves give ourselves honestly to those around us, um, to encourage them and to take an interest in their lives. That's not to say that competition is a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, Many employers use it wisely to their advantage. But our goal as Christians should be to understand how we can, in that circumstance, to compete in love at the same time. Um, And to think about Paul's admonition about selfish ambition. So these are just five different ways that um, you know, we can represent Christ in our workplace, whatever that is, um, whether it's you know, as a student or in a traditional work environment or in the home. Um, 
through integrity, contentedness, authority, creativity, and humility, we can, we can uh, s- demonstrate Christ's work. And we should also be able to see how it is sanctifying for us, how God is using that to uh, change us um, as we seek to demonstrate um, him. So, in a way, you know, kind of our, our work is just a gymnasium for our souls as we pursue, uh, you know, faith-fueled service in the workplace. So, you'll probably notice that all of this fits, um, well, let me, I, let me just say one thing as an aside. One thing I think that's important is that I, to, you know, not hear what I'm not saying um, is that um, that's not to say that you know having ambition or to you know seeking um, positions of influence or power is necessarily a bad thing. Like we have to remember that the what's important here is the orientation of our hearts, and I think that God does want Christians in positions of influence. And so don't hear what I'm saying is you know we ought to just kind of take the um, you know, the easy road or the, um, you know, road that's not going to bring influence. Um, that's, that's not what I'm saying here. I think that we just have to check our hearts. We have to make sure that our hearts are being motivated by the right things and that we're submitting ourselves to Christ. Um, and you could talk about that a lot more, but, yeah. Kind of going along with that, you really have to look at the parable of the talents in that regard. So if I've given you talent that allows you to move it up in any arena to serve him better, then you can't really squander the gifts you've given either. It's just such a tightrope yep. walk you're walking. And I think one of the very helpful um, principles that we see in Scripture, too, is the idea of seasons. I mean, so you're going to have times that... Um, you know, work is going to be harder or require more of you. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it's, uh, you know, there are seasons of, you know, difficulty or season. I mean, so just as we think about um, using the talents that God has given us, and, you know, I know that having conversations with different people, I think about, you know, the, the amount of balancing you know, my time with my family and my time with work. And, and those are very real things that all of us, you know, deal with. Um, and so I think it's just one of the helpful things to remember is this, the idea that, you know, there are seasons in life and that, that uh, the important thing is that our motives are right and that we're seeking to pursue Christ. So. so. Josh, what are, what are the means to make sure you're checking your heart? Well, I think one of the primary means is community, you know, the, the people that you're around, your brothers and sisters in the church, um, and, you know, talking to them about what those struggles and making sure that, um, you know, because people often can see our motivations sometimes easier than we can, um, you know, when we open ourselves up to them. So I think that's one of the primary ways is, um, doing that, and obviously just being in the Word. You know, um, the way that we um, can remind ourselves of what is important and of how we ought to be oriented towards Christ 
is by spending time in Scripture. I mean, I think that's one of the most key ways, too. Yeah. Uh, any other, anybody have any other else? Christian work that would check me. But so the, the thing I can do then is really come to others, maybe someone who has a similar work or level at work, and just hopefully be really honest with them. Yeah. So they can all check me. Yeah, I mean, I have a similar struggle in that I don't have any Christians that I work with in kind of my, uh, they're the same position that I am. And so that, I, it does make it challenging to have somebody that can see what's going on in your workplace. But I think if we're sharing our lives with each other, um, then people can still speak, to, speak into those situations, even if they're not, you know, they're observing it. Anyone else have any other? I think it's interesting, too, when you have children and you're trying to teach them a work ethic that we can teach what you just taught and then hold that against our lives and we get a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, it makes some challenges. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I find out my best way to learn, you, know, you might call it a process of sanctification, by teaching others, or seeing especially children, where you know you can see how you've been a hypocrite. Mike is yeah. a double agent in many cases. <laughs> well, I I found that experience um, very clearly as I've taught through these lessons again, because <laughs> I need to hear this, you know, just as much as anyone else does. Um, okay, so uh, we've kind of talked mostly about the confirmation and demonstration categories that we started the lesson with. And so how does work fit into gospel proclamation? Uh, does being, a, being Christ's ambassador simply involve acting like a Christian, but rarely speaking of the gospel? And I think the answer is, is obviously no. Um, and these, thring, these things work together. The confirmation demonstration and proclamation of the gospel. Um, I don't think I wrote down that sentence. So. <laughs> uh, um, well, first of all, I mean, for people that are working in, in a workplace where they're earning wages, uh, one thing to remember is that you know, if you are tithing, then your work is uh, necessarily contributing to gospel proclamation by what we get to hear every Sunday when we come to church. Um, I mean, if you think about it, if you give 10% of your salary to the local church, then you know, for, for a lot of people, probably almost an hour of your time each day is directed to supporting the work of the church. And that is, you know, people cannot, people in the world cannot wrap their mind around that. <laughs> when, when, they, when you talk about, um, you know, giving, of, you're giving your money freely to, an, to the church, they just, you know, they just can't get that. <laughs> and, um, but it's, it is a way that we participate in, in, in the proclamation of the gospel. But that's not the primary way. That's not what I don't want to make that seem like that's the, the main purpose um, or the main way that we proclaim the gospel in our work. Um, I would encourage us to have a mission field mindset about our work. 
And, you know, many of us have a very great opportunity to uh, share the gospel um, with people that don't uh, know it. And we ought to think about the kind of sphere of influence that God has given us in our work and pray uh, for those people. Pray that we can uh, be a, that he would provide opportunities for us to have those conversations that are not just living in a way that is hopefully different, but that is um, effective in actually proclaiming the gospel. So pray for those people. You know, maybe strategize with others um, about how you can reach them. And, you know, that requires relationship. Uh, You have to uh, build relationship with people so that the gospel demonstration and confirmation can then flow over into uh, gospel proclamation. The, you know, I mentioned 1 Peter earlier in in that chapter or in that uh, book. We're told to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then later, uh, so then we get a a long section on submission to authority. And then later in in chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So, you know, that takes preparation. It, 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 I mean, the verse is saying, be prepared. So that takes some planning to think about how you're going to respond to that opportunity to share. Um, and this only works in the context of relationships, uh, which is another reason why we need to be proactive and strategic about those relationships. And... Um, and I don't want to suggest that, you know, this is an easy task, uh, you know, in, in many workplaces, particularly if you are in the position of authority, you know, your ability to have these, those types of conversations are very limited by, you know, the policies of your workplace. Um, but I think that, you know, if we are looking for those opportunities, um, if we're praying for God to provide those opportunities, um, he wants the gospel proclaimed, so he's going to provide um, those opportunities. You know, I think that one of the things I've struggled with in this is kind of getting away from the just normal office banter um, that can kind of inhibit the depth of conversations that you have. I mean, uh, it's very easy to just, it just kind of stay at a surface, you know, frivolous water cooler level talk. And so we kind of, we may need to look for opportunities to try to get a little bit beyond that. Um, if you work alone or in a small office or in your home, uh, expand the scope of the people you kind of consider to be your coworkers. Um, you know, maybe as you are interacting with other, um, you know, customers or, or professionals that you um, are around, think about how um, you can. Be view that work um, as a mission field. If you're a stay-at-home mom, besides your children being a great evangelistic opportunity, think about how you can build relationships with the people you or your children interact with. Um, invite coworkers into your homes. Uh, it's a, you know the, this is not a very hospitable world, 
and that is something that is very, you know, countercultural is to have people in your house. And um, so that is a great way, I think, to kind of get it out of, you know, the maybe the office environment, if that's the type of environment you work in, and allows people to be more open about sharing their background, history, you know, and as Christians, it gives us more opportunity to share about what's important to us, what motivates us, you know, what is, why we do what we do. Um, and then invest in non-Christians in your workplace, not as projects, but lovingly as those made in God's image. Um, not in a superficial way, but sharing our lives with them. So don't just think of this idea of us, you know, proclaiming the gospel as just uh, these people not being actual individuals that God has made, but that they're, you know, people that we ought to have a heart of compassion towards, that we ought to be loving and investing in, um, you know, as people, not just as a project. Um, running out of time here, so let me skip to the end. So the idea today has been that we are Christ's representatives uh, through faith-fueled service by proclaiming the gospel, confirming uh, the gospel's power in our lives and, demonst- and demonstrating the gospel. But I think it's also important to kind of close with how powerless we really are to accomplish all of this on our own. Um, you know, we've been talking about something that's very paradoxical. When you read what the Bible has to say about your work, you discover that there is a more ultimate purpose for what you do uh, besides what your boss wants from you. If you work as unto the Lord, you are producing, you're producing not just a, in my case, a legal brief or a, you know, uh, uh, a box of soap, whatever it is that you're, you're making, whatever your job is, um, that you are producing eternal lasting fruit if you're doing it as unto the Lord. And the, the paradox is that while there is a more ultimate aim for our work, the things that are truly ultimate are outside of our control to achieve. So while in our own strength, and, you know, we may produce that box of soap or that legal brief. Um, our ability uh, to represent through our work the picture of the supernatural risen Christ is not something that we can just do. We can't just conjure up the faith that we need. We can't just simply des- decide that we're going to be happy being everyone's servant. Uh, work is on the one hand more important than what we realize, um, but also it may seem more out of reach than we realize because this is not something that we can just do um, on our own. So only um, God can do what, what matters in this situation in giving us the power to serve him through our work um, and to create fruit from what we're doing. So what should we do? I think one of the main things is pray Pray that God would use these things and give them eternal value. Pray that, um, pray through our schedule in the morning uh, that God would accomplish something with, with our activity. 
Um, pray that we would be mindful not just of what you know, our, our tasks are for the day, but that um, we'd be mindful of what Christ would have for us. And um, pray that he would do these things to his everlasting glory and, and our good. And remember that we do all these things to honor God and gratitude for what Christ has already accomplished for us. We are not seeking to serve as Christ's representative so that, he, so that we can commend ourselves to God. Christ was the perfect representative, the perfect worker. Um, so that's what hopefully we can remember as we go um, here from these lessons and thinking about how our work um, can please the Lord. So um, I don't really have time for any other comments or questions, so let's just uh, close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you... Um, have accomplished uh, everything that we need, um, that you were the perfect worker, and uh, that as we seek to glorify you through our work, that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and uh, that we would be empowered uh, by that work. And I pray that you would help us to um, honor you with our time uh, and the work that you have given us. And prepare our hearts now, Lord, as we go into worship and uh, hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen.